Welcome to the 34th episode of the Turf Talk Young Turfs podcast presented by Binder Consulting. This is your host, Mason the Intern Binder. And your co-host, Jordan Binder. And on today's Young Turfs podcast, we'll be talking Maryland Hopkins and new football and basketball recruits. That and the NFL, the Turfs in the NFL draft, we got a full show today. Yes, we do, so let's get started. Jordan, there's nothing better in lacrosse than Turfs Hopkins Homewood Field, simply known as the rivalry. Yep, and this one is one for the ages, a triple overtime victory for the Turfs. Yes, it was 9-8 to eight on a goal by Will Snyder. Maryland led by stellar goalkeeping from Dan Morris. Really just showed at the end of the game that the Turfs had a truly championship goalie. Yeah, it was a great atmosphere. I managed to catch some of it on ESPNU, and it looked like a really fun game to be at. Yes, it was. It was a sold-out plus crowd. Uh, stats for the Turfs, Dan Morris lets up seven goals but comes back with 13 saves. And despite the fact that Connor Kelly did not score, only an assist for Kelly, Maryland still pulled it out. Yes, he did, and after the game, Dave Petromal, the Johns Hopkins coach, said we were trying to guard two guys with seven, and that worked. They did take away Jared Bernhardt and Connor Kelly, but the real story is Maryland's other guys were able to push them through in this game. And that locks in Maryland for the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament and setting up the face Rutgers next week, if I'm correct. Yes, they are, and that should be interesting as that game did go down to the wire last time. Well, Maryland also had their first loss in Big Ten um, two weeks ago now against Ohio State. That was a bit of a stunner for everybody involved, I think. Yeah, it was, and, you know, eventually it was going to happen the way they were turning the ball over, the way that they were playing in general. But unexpected in front of such a big home crowd that that would come. But it seems to be every time a national championship game rematch happens, the team that lost seems to come back and get a win. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Um, Ohio State was, of course, having a very disappointing season. That's a big turnaround for them. So how do you think Maryland's going to stack up in the Big Ten tournament next week? Well, it's definitely going to be tough, as always, in this conference. Certainly, even someone like you who's not a huge lacrosse fan knows the Big Ten is one of the premier programs or conferences for lacrosse that features many premier programs. Ohio State has looked hot. Hopkins has looked good. The Terps, as always, are looking strong going into the tournament. But then my dark horse team has to be Rutgers. They kind of feel snubbed from the past few years of the NCAA tournament. And, you know, nothing says it better than slamming the door of the conference championship and telling the committee you can't not let us in this time. I don't know, it feels, something feels off to me, and maybe it's just me, but I see a Rutgers versus Hopkins championship, and I also see Rutgers going through. Well, you're not the only one that thinks that. You watch this team, and it's definitely not one of the years past. There is no real Rambo and Heacock combination. Bernhardt and Kelly are two different kind of dynamic guys, but the supporting cast is definitely different. They're plugging and playing guys. Every week, it seems to be 
Like there were a few guys this weekend at Hopkins that you really hadn't seen on the field, and then suddenly they come out of nowhere. They've been looking for a second-line midfield for a while, and it just hasn't come yet. But just like John Garino showed up at the end of the season last year, I'm hoping to see that guy coming out of the midfield this year for the Terps. Well, the running out of time to find that guy. Postseason play starts next week. And then at the most, after two games, you're going to get to the tournament. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, this kind of happened a little bit last year with the face-offs until they found Garino. But, you know, Tillman, you got the recruits. There's no doubt that the talent's there. It's just finding that one guy that's going to click in. Will Snyder, of course, looked great. The guy with the game winner and game tying goals last week. If he can pick it up, he can be that guy. But right now on the offensive side of the ball, if you can take away Kelly and Bernhardt, it's going to be tough for Maryland all day. They haven't really found anybody to step up and be explode out of the second line or even other guys on the first line. Well, I think that's a good segue. I need to move on. Well, before we talk about Maryland's past for the NFL draft, we're going to talk about Maryland's future. We've had three football and basketball recruits come in since we left in our podcast almost three weeks ago now. To start with, we got a out-of-nowhere basketball commit in Mr. Trace Ramsey. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about this guy. He's a six-seven forward from Indiana, and he's had some trouble with injuries over the past but he's from a powerhouse school, and hopefully he can give the turf something. Yeah, I did some research on him. Trace Ramsey kind of fits. Well, Brad Stevens of the Boston Celtics has said that basketball's kind of changed to the point where you have three sections. You have guards, wings, and bigs. And Trace Ramsey really fits that profile of a wing. Like, he doesn't really have a position. He plays anywhere from shooting guard to power forward. Um, he's 6'7", as you said. He's very versatile, but he was really under the radar. He's ranked as a three-star recruit by 24-7 sports. He only held offers from Austin P, IUPUI, Loyola Chicago, Siena, Toledo, Western Michigan. Those were his only offers before he committed to Maryland. Hey, we snagged a guy from a Final Four team. Yeah, that's kind of how it's hard to um, He was starting to get interest from in Creighton and Michigan as well. He had a really good open practice that Mark Turgeon was also at, along with those other schools. And Turgeon offered him on the spot. So he saw something that he liked, obviously. In his junior year at Don Bosco High School, who won the Indiana Non-Public Level A State Championship in 2017, he averaged 10 points and 4 rebounds. Last year, he transferred to Valparaiso, another private school, where he upped his game to 14 points and 8 rebounds per game. I watched a little bit of film on him. He had definitely some positives. He's a really good motor. He's a really strong defender. He's great at covering over the eight position on the floor. He looks like he's a really high basketball IQ. Like I say, he's very versatile. And he has some ludicrous handles for being his size. Well, that's something that Maryland needs, a guy who can come in and handle the ball really well. I doubt that we're going to see anything from at the one, but, you know, it's that late commit that Maryland's been looking for. They didn't really do too well in the grad transfer game. But at least we pulled out this guy who seems to have potential. It's just up to the coaching staff now to develop that. Yeah, and that being said, he does have some negative as well. He's not very athletic. Um, he's not very fast. He he has okay jumping, but it's not great. I only saw him dunk once in almost 20 minutes of film, which doesn't imply that he does it a lot. But he's really good at finding the ball with what um, Mahopsky does have. 
The other thing that's kind of a negative is he doesn't shoot very well. He, I only saw him make one three in almost 20 minutes of highlights, like I said. Um, that's concerning, especially considering that he's not really big enough to play an inside consistently. Um, I see him as a bit of a long-term project, but I see touches of Jake Lightman in his game. Maybe not as athletic, but he does have that same sort of skill set from what I've seen. Yeah, um, you're looking at a guy, again, that is going to need work and going to need time with the coaching staff. Now, have we really seen the ability to develop in the past? Maybe not, but, you know, every recruit's different. Every guy puts in a different amount of work. Every guy has a different skill set, so hopefully they'll be able to get somewhere with Trace Ramsey. I hope so. He seems like a good kid. I read an article in the Chicago Tribune about him that was basically just saying how surprised he was that um, a major school in Maryland would offer him, and he's really grateful he's going to take the opportunity to get better and work really hard. So he seems like a good kid. I, I hope this will work out well for him. Yeah. So moving on to the football side, Jordan, who do we got? We have two commits. One committed the day after we released our last podcast, which is kind of unfortunate for us, but that one is, I'm going to try to pronounce his name, and I'm probably going to get it wrong. Amarian Brown, I believe. He committed on the 14th of April. He's from Tampa, which is good to see the Maryland getting inroads into Florida recruiting. As you said, Mason, Florida is one of the richest football states in the country. Yes, it is. And for Maryland, they were able to establish that, not this past class, but the one before that. And it seemed like they were just getting a ton of ground in Florida and were back to that is what it seems. Yeah, this kid... I'm going to call him A. Brown, because I don't want to butcher his name again, is a smaller kid. He's 5'10", 165 pounds. He's around the 500th mark in terms of the recruiting class for 2019. But he, for being a five-star short kid, sorry, three-star short, shorter receiver, he had a very impressive list of offers. Here are some of his Power 5 offers. Minnesota, Alabama, oh, oh, excuse me, Iowa State, Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State, UCF, I threw in there because they're not Power 5, but they're a pretty heavy recruiter, especially in the Tampa area. Virginia Tech, West Virginia. And as you've said, Mason, the best way to look at these kids is who else is offering them. Well, that's a pretty good list. Yes, it is. And this was a huge recruit for his class and really for a guy, Matt Canada. It might be his first wide receiver commit. We'll have to check that, but... You know, you look at the list of teams that looked at him and saw what they liked, and it's great. You got Georgia, Alabama, and Michigan. It was really seemed to be between Alabama, Michigan, and the Terps, and somehow Maryland pulled it out. Well, his measurables aren't great. He runs a 4.47 40-yard dash. For comparison, DJ Moore ran a 4.42, but that's after, you know, four or five years of work. Yeah, that DJ Moore stat was one, out of nowhere, and two, took a lot of work. You could see the transformation. He benched 185, which was fine. He's a receiver. Um, I looked at some film on him, too. Positives are he is very, very good at tracking the ball in there. A lot of his highlights were him getting under missed passes and really bizarre punts. He's a really good returner, too. But he can find the ball anywhere in space. Um, he also has great agility, especially in when he has space, like in screens or on out routes. He's great at making guys miss. He's great at finding holes and using his smaller sets to cracks. 
But a negative, like I said, he's not very fast for his size, though. He is very, very quick. He's a small, skinny kid, but that can be worked on the time. But he's not probably going to be an immediate contributor, just based on his frame and the skill set. He's going to need some work. Look, when I looked at the film, I saw immediate Mac Canada guy. He runs the reverse, he can play running back, and he's quick on the edges, and that's what Mac Canada's offense is about. It's about the jet sweep, it's about getting guys out on the edges, throwing quick passes. Now he seems to be the perfect guy for that, and he kind of reminds me of a guy that Walt Bell would recruit, the larger receiver that's big and can go up and get the ball. This is kind of the opposite of that, the Mac Canada wide receiver that's quick around the edges and can make plays on the outside once they have the ball in their hands. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of Will Likely. I mean, he doesn't play defense, but he has that same small but very fast returner-type profile. The other football recruit is Parker Moore, an offensive tackle from Charlotte. He committed on the 23rd of April. He's a big dude. He's 6'5", almost 300 pounds. He's going to be a senior next year. Ranked a three-star recruit by 24-7 composite algorithm. He wasn't as highly recruited. He held offers from West Virginia, East Carolina, Marshall, Temple, Louisville, and Colorado State. Um, looking at the film, he is very fast for being 6'5". He's great at getting the field and getting out in space, like on um, stretch runs or screens. He can move out very quickly. And he, he's very strong. He can pancake. He pancaked a lot of guys that are bigger than him on his film. But that's also one of his bigger weaknesses. Because mechanically speaking, when I looked at him, he relies on his strength too much. His footwork and hand position are kind of off because he could just throw guys. That's obviously not going to work in Big Ten. He's another project kind of guy. But I think with our offensive line, we can afford to take on projects right now. Yeah, Brian Steinspring, one of the new coaches on the Terps, was responsible for recruiting Parker. And look, I have no problem with picking up a guy like this. I've talked about it before. The three stars are what makes the team. The guys who you develop over time, that's what makes a great team happen. I believe the coaching staff can improve on anybody's game, given what we've seen the past few years. And there's really not a lack of big-time offers. South Carolina and North Carolina NC State offered him. So when you look at it, it's a solid get. They have to get guys like these. Not every guy's going to be a four- or five-star starts with the three stars. It starts with the guys that you develop over five, six, four years. Well, here's something that I, before we move on to the NFL draft, which is your forte, I want to kind of address something that is a bit concerning to me. We have three recruits in football for 2019 so far. Not a single one is from the DMV. Is that, a, is that problematic? I'm starting, it's not too worrying to me yet, but... It's a bit weird. No, it's really not. And I don't really think it's that weird either. Uh, football's really a late recruiting kind of thing. You don't really get many recruits too far ahead. But, yeah, I can get why you would think it was concerning, but I don't really see it. Give it a few more months. Give it till the start of the season. Then if there's really it's still a small class and we're not really recruiting the DMV, then maybe there's some concern, but no, not yet. But we do have Aziz Abdul-Rakim, the super-recruiting defensive back coordinator for the Terps. So we can't be that far behind, I guess. But there's something to keep an eye out for, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're going to pick up their guys. I have confidence in them. I don't really see it as that big of a problem. 
now to the NFL where some interesting things happened for some Maryland players. DJ Moore, of course, was selected in the first round, number the 24th overall pick to the Carolina Panthers. And then the surprise of the day, Jordan, Jermaine Carter Jr., also to the Panthers in the fifth round, pick 151. And J.C. Jackson slid all the way down to an undrafted free agent that landed with the Patriots, along with Kingsley Oparo, who landed to the Texans, and Savon Walker, who went to the Bears. Well, we'll break it down one at a time. DJ Moore's long, long climb up NFL draft boards finally came to fruition as he joined fellow Tory Smith with the Panthers. Yes, he did, and Steve Smith said something great about him after the game that the organization has been hurting since Steve Smith left, and DJ Moore can bring that back. He's got the talent. He's got the route running. He's got the skills. Now it's all time to show it on the field, Jordan. Along with Torrey Smith, that makes a pretty good combo of a deep route runner and a guy who can make the short plays. Well, the irony here is I think the Panthers could really use Kelvin Benjamin a 6-7 receiver who they traded to the Bills earlier in the season to go along with these two. But I agree that DJ Moore can be the number one guy. He's got an excellent quarterback in Cam Newton to throw the ball to him. And he also got Greg Olson and Christian McCaffrey to help take the weight off him. I think this is a good fit. Yeah, so do I. It was one of the targeted landing spots by me and many others. It just seems like... He could have been a Raven, Jordan. He could have stayed around. And even though we're not Ravens fans, I would have loved to see the large amount of Maryland fans that are have the pleasure of watching DJ Moore for their pro team. Yeah, that would have been cool to see. Um, the Ravens went in a very risky draft direction, which we not really in this podcast to play to talk about that. But I think that this is going to be better for DJ that he's not with the Ravens, who just seem to be receive a graveyard these days. Um, like I said, Tim is a truly elite quarterback, and I think that he could really have a great rookie season. So, following our list, now Jermaine Carter Jr., also to Carolina, and I, like many others, are kind of unclear about where he'll play in the NFL, maybe outside linebacker for a little bit. He can definitely play all sides of it, he was an inside linebacker for the Terps, and it looks like he'll be joining Luke Keekley and the Stellar Panthers linebacking core. Yeah, um, I have a lot of faith personally in the Panthers front office. They've done a great job building their team recently, but this is a bit of a head-scratching draft pick. I mean, I, I love Jermaine Carter, got picked in the fifth round, but I don't understand why, really. I can explain it to you right now, and I was stunned when he didn't go to the Combine or wasn't even invited Jermaine Carter Jr. showed time and time again that he could compete at a really high level, and he definitely had the tape that showed that. To go back to when they were talking about Connor Williams, the All-American Texas tackle that was drafted in the second round, they said the first thing about him was he started the season off with a rough game against Maryland, and that was because guys like Jesse Anybodum and Jermaine Carter owned him. He also led a Big Ten team and tackles for a season. He just, to me, showed something different. He's a really high-motor guy, plays really tough football, and it just stunned me that he was getting no draft buzz. This is about where I thought he was going to land. But still, I don't really think a lot of teams had him on the hot board for the fifth round. Yeah, that's right. 
I have them behind Denver, but yeah, they're close. No, because the third guy would happen to be Shaq Thompson from Washington. Yeah, but as always, special teams, and there's only so much money that's involved with the football team, and maybe they're looking at Jermaine Carter, develop for a few years, touches the field, but you know, linebacker's also a rotation position, so maybe not this first year he'll see the field as an actual defensive player, as a special teams guy instead, but there's always depth needed, and the best place to find depth, to me, is in the NFL draft, drafting guys with high potential. Yeah, big time surprise for Maryland fans was that J.C. Jackson, cornerback, did not get drafted, but he did land to New England, so, I mean, where else would you want to be? feel bad for him because he's still getting his opportunity but you know sometimes guys who aren't supposed to get drafted get picked in the fifth round sometimes guys who are supposed to get picked in the fifth round don't get drafted and I was really surprised he didn't get picked because it seemed like fourth it was either the fourth or the third round where every team just decided to select defensive backs Yeah, Kingsley to the Texans and Savon to the Bears. They're great effort guys, and I like them a lot. But I really don't see either of them having NFL size. They do have great technique. I've seen them warm up a number of times. I've seen them in practice and on the field. They have good technique, but the size just really isn't there from either of them. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of good takeaways from the fact that DJ Moore made strides, was talked about non-stop, it seemed to be, as the draft approaches. Hey, and you know what, Jordan? He beat out Calvin Ridley to be the first wide receiver selected. It was a little surprising to me that he had Quotland Sutton, but yes, he was the first receiver selected. He took advantage of a rather weak class around him. And, you know, hopefully he can make good on it and make us all proud. 
yeah, I believe that, and that's a good place to leave this podcast. Jordan, any last words? Uh, not really. Uh, make sure to check out churchhouse.com and talkredskins.com. And that's about all I got. Yeah, that's about all I got, too. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Viner Consulting in Rockville. For all your IT needs, you can check out Viner Consulting at oneviner.com. Jordan, we'll be back when something happens. I'm assuming it will be after this weekend's Big Ten tournament for lacrosse in Ann Arbor. Yeah, and I can't believe I have to say this again. Maybe next time we'll finally get into our off-season topic list. Look, Jordan, it's good that things keep happening. Well, I don't know what's going to happen next, but you're right. But stuff keeps happening, and hopefully our next one will be some football recruits from the DMV. Yeah, hopefully it will, and that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. As always, thanks for listening.